Good evening. This is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series. Our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered focus, decisive action, and inspired outcome. Our spotlight is on social media, and my guest is David Bullock, CEO of Mastery Inc. He is a degreed mechanical engineer with a thorough understanding of process control. A switch to sales resulted in over $100 million worth of goods and services sold in a seven-year period. The process design and sales experience came together in his work with Dr. James Kowalik as a certified Tris Taguchi Ad Optimization Specialist. David's work has been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Black Enterprise, Nashville Business Journal, and Fast Company Online. In fact, he is such an in-demand speaker, and he addresses audiences intentionally to bridge the gap between new technology and business development at all levels. You can find out more about David's current work by visiting davidbullock.com. Awesome jam-packed interview. You'll enjoy. I am well. Good to be here. Thank you so much for being a part of Building Abundant Success. Of course, I start my show by telling everybody that tonight we are talking about marketing and business development, but I understand you come from a totally different background that might intertwine the topic. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? All right. I'm a degreed mechanical engineer. Wow. And Right. So I started working with the mobile Exxons of the world and working with the DuPont and then moved from, from DuPont into the uh, automotive industry and then from the automotive industry into the robotics industry and then into sales and marketing. So I come at this from a, a very different place because there's an engineering background, which makes me – I'm looking at the numbers all the time. And is what I'm doing, is it actually working? Is it getting it done? In, in, uh, in business, you're trying to manufacture customers and profits. It is not a, a blind affair. What made you go into electrical engineering? Or mechanical engineering. Um, I started as a chemical engineer because I liked the uh, the pretty colors that would happen when you uh, pour the solutions together and the loud noises from fireworks. And went to school and and I turned out that chemical engineering was something I didn't really like because I couldn't see um, what was really happening with the electrons and that type of thing. So I went to my counselor and said I wanted to do something which was more tangible. He said, well, you can be a mechanic. And I said, well, what about mechanical engineering? And that's how I ended up as a mechanical engineer. Okay. Now explain to the audience quickly what, okay, you, you were talking about different processes that you learned from that. Um, I was going to ask, you applied that when you got to the mobile oil and the DuPont company? Well, actually, mobile oil and DuPont, those were, those were early on in my career, um, mm-hmm. process engineering and that type of thing. Um, the process that we use was statistical process control and that type of thing where you would look at a, a series of numbers and data so you could control your process. Mm-hmm. And when we moved into business, it was the same thing. Your business has numbers. Right. It has, you know, the numbers are going up, down, or sideways. You're making money. You're not making money. You're selling units. You're not selling units. Here's your cost of profit. Here's your cost to make a sale. All those are numbers, and they're either going up, down, or sideways. And they're coming from an engineering background helps with that because you learn to manage by the numbers and not manage by how you feel necessarily. Mm. Now, speaking to the numbers, you know, I thought that was really interesting and reading about your sales career uh, that you went on uh, for the first year, I believe, when you first began selling 300000 your first year and selling mm-hmm. over hundreds of millions of dollars worth of goods. Different mindset, different everything. How did David Bullock change in those years? 
while it, it, there's a couple things that were happening there. First of all, when I came out as a, I was very much an engineer, mm-hmm. very much uh, working with the equipment. That's really what I cared about. And then all of a sudden I realized I had to work with people. So I learned that this idea of working with just the machines and the, the instrumentation and the, uh, the equipment was one thing, but learning how to communicate the value of a machine or a process to another engineer or, more importantly, to the buyer or to the customer in a way that he could understand it was one of the, the biggest lessons that I learned early on in my career. I mean, we came, I was sent out here from Michigan mm-hmm. to, to Nashville, Tennessee, to basically build this territory that was not in, it didn't exist. So it was like, hey, get on the plane, go out there and build the territory. There's nothing there, go for it. This was in the, uh, the late 90s, 97, 98, and this is when the American economy was doing great. But the Japanese economy, which was, the, those are my customers, the, what they call the transplants, they weren't doing so well. Because when our economy is doing great, they're not doing well, but their economy is doing great. You know, the dollars, again, that type of play there. And so it was very interesting. I learned that first two years that all I could do was service the customers, even though I couldn't sell anything to them, really. I had to learn to service them. I had to learn to visit them, check in with them, make sure they were okay, and that type of thing. Because what I found is that when the economy started to flip in 2000, and GM, Ford, Chrysler, they started having some issues, my market, which was the, the transplant market, started to really emerge. And I, and I learned the big lesson of, Everyone around you can be doing great, and you're not, and you don't know why. Maybe you're in the wrong market. Mm-hmm. And then every, and then what, what happened is all of a sudden their market, the American market, de- de- decreased, and all of a sudden we were getting orders, you know, $26 million orders because there was a move now to move robots into this country and have manufacturing here by those transplants. So, again, your market, you may actually be in the wrong market, and the world can be doing great around you, and you're just in the wrong place. But here's what I found out. If you stick in it, and sometimes markets can flip, and you can find yourself in a good position. So that those type of uh, distinctions were the things that I learned during those years. Service was, was, was important. Building relationships was extremely important. Learning the technology while it was, while it was cutting edge and new was something that, that I also learned, too, and that one of the things that was just baffling to me then was I had collected the, the cards of all a lot of the clients that I had and so the plants. And one day I had this notion of uh, I can't get out to that part of the the, uh, the state today too far. And I basically penned an email and put most of them on blind copy and pushed the button and said, hey, just want to check in with you and make sure everything was okay. Are there any new projects, anything I need to be concerned with? Lo and behold, $200,000 worth of orders came in from that little email. I said, wait a minute, this email thing works. Right. That was my first. That was my first uh, inclination that email marketing was something that was actually functional. But I was doing it again with an industrial equipment. I wasn't selling the business opportunity. This was high dollar equipment that I was doing this with. But at the same time, these are people. I was making an offer, and they knew me, and then orders came. I was like, "This is amazing," and I know this works. You're mentioning uh, something vitally important in terms of uh, you know building. Your uh, your uh, brand building your business building relationships. I wanted to delve into that because um, many people, uh, you know, they get on the internet and whatnot, and they think that they can just press a button like you did without building that strong relationship. Where people feel, well, I can connect with this person. Uh, can you go through uh, some elementary steps for people who are just uh, in the budding business stage? Yeah, I'm going to give it. Yeah, that, this is this will be fun. 
one of the things I learned is a lot of people, like you said, want to sit at, you know, you, I have a new business, I have a great idea, I want to take it online, which means typically you want to hide behind your computer. <laughs> I would encourage that. I would, I, you know what I mean? I'm going to hide behind the computer, and really what I'm going to do is I'm, I want to have PayPal, I want to have my merchant account here, and I'm just going to put up a site, and, and, the great, and Google is going to send me all the traffic in the world. That works for some people, but not most of us. Mm-hmm. Typically what has to happen is you, what, what, what I would instruct people to do is go actually meet people first. Get them, get them to know who you are, and then what your offer is about. Network. Uh, speak. Publish, meaning do the articles, publish a book, start speaking with other experts in your industry, get known first. And if you're known, you develop a reputation. And once you have that reputation, the business will come. Typically, we try to market before we have an offer. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have a solu- we really don't have a true solution. People care about two things. Do they know you? If they don't know you, they really have to have a great solution that will overcome the fact that they don't have a relationship with you. Now, one of the things that we noticed here is marketing is a numbers game. And, and, and typically, most of us are caught in the idea that marketing is the same e-commerce model that we've had for years, where you just send out a lot and a small percentage of those people are going to respond to you. And from that, you should make X amount of dollars. And you're doing it just on the numbers. If you take a step back and say, wait a minute, if I send out 100 emails and you're hoping for 1%, okay, that's one person. Wouldn't it be better if you just develop a relationship with one person that can buy your product and service and have them buy your product and service as opposed to going through all the pain of trying to develop a list and hope that they're going to buy your product? Mm. It's easier to pick up the phone, much easier to pick up the phone and develop a real relationship, much easier to have an interview with someone so people feel like they get to know you in that interview or do that article or do that, that newspaper clipping than it is for them to just get to know you through a blind email or from that speech. It's, it's, it's easier for you to again, develop the relationship first. So if you do that, you will build the list. You will build the following that you want. You will build customers if you just cater to between 100 and 200 people and not necessarily cater to yourself or pigeonhole yourself into a e-commerce model, which is all the traffic in the world, low amount of people responding to me. I would encourage you to say a few people responding to me and having an offer so valuable that they will pay you a lot of money for it. That tips the scale in your favor. Awesome. Now, um, speaking to what you just said in terms of uh, building to this, you've got a lot of people out there doing all types of marketing, and some may be in your niche and some may be not in your niche. And I was wondering, how do you differentiate yourself? What is that uh, unique selling proposition, and how would you uh, be able to describe that to our listeners uh, about being able to, you know, target into that? Because, uh, you know, you may do the same thing as, you know, a bunch of other people. Why should they do business with you? Right, and, and that's a lot of people have, me, for lack of a better term, me too businesses. Mm-hmm. So the way that you don't you, you get out of the me too business is to look at your, I call it your life experience, and you weave a profitable narrative of your life's experience. Case in point, I'm an engineer. I can't negate it. That's what I did in a former life. But if you look on my website, it says profit engineer, mm-hmm. and it communicates exactly what I do. What am I? I'm an engineer who helps you engineer profit. It communicates, cuts through a lot of the, I'm a consultant, I'm a this, I'm a salesperson, I'm a marketer. I can be any and all of those things, but me, David Bullock, I'm a profit engineer. But that was weaving a narrative based on my prior experience. 
If you look at your own experience for your unique selling proposition, and you can, you can sell anyone else's product, but as soon as you wrap yourself around it or wrap your offer around it, it becomes infinitely valuable based on the services you deliver into the marketplace. What is your promise? If you use this, if you use this service, if you read this book, if you use this product, the question is, what can you as the, the merchant wrap around that in terms of extra information, coaching, um, how can you use this? But how can you maximize the use of that thing? What does that customer want before, during, and after the purchase? What does that customer want to want to? What do they need to have before, during, and after the situation that your product is going to actually solve? If you can identify those things, you just made yourself infinitely more valuable, and you're, you've not commoditized yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's just a matter of having conversations, I mean real conversations with your customer and you may ask them the critical question of, why did you buy from me? If you would, What do I do for you that makes me special? Why would you buy from me as opposed to someone else? Your customers have the answers for you. You don't. And you might just ask them and they'll tell you. Wow. So you're asking us to do the ask campaign. Find out what the customer wants and just give it right back to them. Well, ask, as you know, is a uh, is an escalation of effort. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, you ask if you look at ask as an as an, as an acronym, it's ask, which is you know you're asking a question in your mind, mm-hmm. and then you seek, which is moving towards someone. You're seeking an answer, and then you knock. That's taking action. Mm-hmm. So there's an escalation of effort there just within the asking methodology. Now, in business development. You're talking about strategies, tactics, and others. Most t- most of the times in our marketing classes, we just learn about the product price, plan, and promotion. You know the four P's. Can you talk to us a little bit about the the strategies that you've been able to use? Because uh, I know with uh, some of the ventures that you and successes you've had with Barack 2.0 and others, um, there's a certain something that you did to be able to make that become successful. Can you walk us through those steps? Absolutely. The the, when we looked at markets, we, we were trying to find out what is indigenous to the market, what's foundational here, and we came up with something called the START formula, and we'll, we'll start there. Mm-hmm. Strategy is the overall story, meaning what's happening now in the marketplace, and please know that there are three things going on in the marketplace at any given time. That's your story, like the story you're holding as a business owner. There's the market story, the people in the market. And then there's your customer story, the people who make up the market. Mm-hmm. And and then around that is actually the world story because all of us, we have these interlacing stories. So understanding the story or the strategy is the very first part of any campaign or any business, the story. Because no plane, train, or automobile, nothing is going to move without someone communicating a story first. Mm-hmm. So you get the strategy down. And then you look at your tactics. Really, it's what needs to be done, what to, to do tactically. To get from one story, from story A to the story B, which is the story that you actually want. So look okay. at your tactics. And then the question then becomes, are you willing, based on what you know needs to be done, to take action? That's the A. S-T-A. The action. Are you willing to take the action after you have that list of tactics? Then after you've taken the action, what's the result that is going to, that you actually got? Not the one that you want. What actually happened? Did the graph go up, down, or sideways? Did you make a sale? Did you make the connection? And then finally, can you test track over time, which is your evaluation of the results? And then you go right back up and look at your tactics again. 
Now, that goes, that fits well into what we do with the Rock 2.0 project because we looked at the stories in the marketplace. We looked at Google Trends. Google Trends said that there was this uptick of interest in something called social media back in 08. There was an uptick in what was going on politically with this gentleman called Senator Barack Obama at the time. There was an uptick on business development online. Okay, we had three different stories that we saw were kind of inching their way up. Social media, the presidential campaign coming in 08, this particular candidate, and then business. So we looked at, so what was the title of the book? Uh, Barack Obama's Social Media Lessons for Business. We took those three trends and basically reported on what we saw in the marketplace and how this, for lack of a better term, this upstart senator was making a very strong and momentous push into the political realm against a well-worn machine called the Clinton machine. And we, and all we, what we did is we tracked that event, but more importantly, not only did we track it, we were looking to see what the mechanics were and could those mechanics be duplicated in other businesses. And lo and behold, they can. So that's, where, that's the thinking that started it. That's what we actually did. And we started with a blog. We did a webinar. We went from the webinar to, to then starting the podcast. And then went from the podcast. We, and then from that, transcribed, created a book. And then the rest, for lack of a better term, is history because mag, major magazines picked it up. And then we got about $500,000 worth of PR based on us, us strategically moving in the marketplace with that particular story and leveraging it up and up and up in the marketplace. Mm. I was reading about Dr. James Kowalik. He is your mentor. Can you tell us about the, what you learned from him and how that uh, works into the uh, brand of David Bullock today? Dr. James Kowalik, my friend, um, showed me something called Taguchi. And Taguchi, the Taguchi method is a methodology which allows you to test a few things and simulate thousands of tests at the same time. Mm-hmm. And really what it does is it showed me how to look at a problem and segment it down into small pieces and then find the optimal solution based on the environment of that particular problem. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the, the Taguchi method. And the funny story about me meeting Dr. Qualik is I read about him in a magazine. And I read about what he was doing. The conversation was that he increased the efficacy of a magazine, the advertisement in the magazine, 700% based on a few tests he did using this thing called the Taguchi method. Now, the part which is interesting is I was getting, I was taking a business development class at that time. Everyone in my class read the very same story. Mm-hmm. But I picked up the phone and called, the, tracked the company down, called him and became his apprentice. Wow. I liked what he was doing. So I went from a magazine to picking up the phone, making a phone call, becoming his apprentice, learning the Taguchi method from him directly, and he learned the, the Taguchi method. He actually worked with Dr. Taguchi himself. And wow. Dr. Taguchi was actually trained by Dr. Edward Deming. So it's Dr. Deming, Dr. Taguchi, Dr. Kowalik, and then me in that line. And, uh, and it became a – I learned the Taguchi method, used that as a consulting methodology for a while doing the uh, – I don't know, 04, 05, 06, mm-hmm. optimizing landing pages, using it with Google AdWords, you know, so the same amount of traffic, you're getting that many more sales from the same amount of traffic. And then there's something else called Triz. And Triz is an, an innovation algorithm for inventive problem solving. It's actually from Russia. Dr. Qualik was a practitioner of that particular methodology too, and he taught me that also. So I'm, I'm Triz, 
which is the testing methodology, and then Taguchi, which is the testing methodology, and then TRIZ, which is the technology which allows you to actually solve any problem on the planet. So between the two of those things, you can walk in just about any marketing situation or mechanical situation and find a solution. Now, I want to go through elementary-wise with our audience some of the steps that you have, um, you know, been able to explain to many audiences, I'm sure, around the country, around the world. The first law is in advertising marketing. You know, you say test, test, test. Can you go through some of these steps? Because I think it's very, very interesting. And it, you, you lay it out so easy. But, you know, for those of us newbies and uh, people who are starting businesses, it's not going to be so so easy to, to grasp. So can you go through those first laws in advertising I see here? Your conversion rate. You say you have to ask six questions for every new person that you uh, are dealing with. Yeah, well, one of the things, and, and a lot of that is I, I probably can put it into either a, a nutshell than what you have in front of you there. Okay. Um, when that client shows up, mm-hmm. there's a couple of things, and it, my thinking has changed over the years. The first thing is what was the situation that made him show up? True. What, what, what was going on in their life that would, that would give them the impetus to move towards your solution that way? Number question. Number, that's the first thing you want to ask. Why are you here? Like, what was happening before to get you here? What problem were you having? What situation were you facing? What was the experience that made you want to move this way to either alleviate and or elevate that situation to a new level? Mm-hmm. The next question I always ask is, how did you find me? That tells me what channel did you find me on? Did you find me through word of mouth? Did you find me on the television, through an interview? Did you find me on the radio? Did you find me on the Internet? And if so, how, what keywords did you type in? What conversation were you in in your mind that resonated enough that Google picked me up also? Okay. The next thing that I would ask with that particular client is I would actually ask them, so, you know, what pain are you in? What is your situation? What's the uncomfort? What is, you know, what is the new experience that you want? All these things lead up into you being able to duplicate that client coming to you again. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. The, the next question I would ask them, while I, well, and again, you ask them because typically at this point, especially if you're early on in your business, having someone on the phone is gold. And, and do this. If you can have them on the phone and they, and, you, and they allow you to record them, you can actually take that recording and you can transcribe it, and you can actually get the language of the marketplace, the common language of the marketplace, right from those transcriptions. Okay. Okay? So, again, that's a little bit of an aside, a little bit of a sneaky trick there. Um, the next thing that you want to ask is, what is the value that solving this problem or this situation is for you? Because markets, markets and pricing is very elastic. Case in point. Some people have Mercedes, some people drive Hondas, some people used to drive Yugos, and some people drive scooters. All Yugos. of them are most... You remember <laughs> Yugos? Yugos. <laughs> oh, boy. I could tell you some jokes about Yugos. I'm, I'm, dating, I'm dating myself a little bit, but... I know. But see, I've never seen one, but I've heard all kinds of jokes about them. They're three in the car. Way... <laughs> oh, well. It's, 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 it, those are some stories. But pricing is very elastic. Very, it's supremely elastic. And depending on how you package your offer and the value that your customer has, you really can have an elastic pricing structure. Mm-hmm. Meaning if a client is willing and able to pay more, guess what? You might as a consultant, 
you might be able to charge them more. And or, and here's the, here's the part with the, with the a situation, if you have a product that is a commodity, if that client wants what they call white glove service and or other information and or consulting or something wrapped around it, you can actually increase the value of a commodity by putting yourself into the value proposition. Wow. And that's what a lot of, of business owners miss. They say, here's the price, here's the product, done. As opposed to, here's the price, here's the product. But if you want a little bit more and you're willing to pay a little bit more, then we can do this, this, and this. And that really gives a differentiating, that gives you, gives you the differentiating uh, position in the marketplace. That little bit more, that's you. That's that brand called you. That, that part that only you can do is the part only you can do. You're never really doing what the other guy is doing because it's you doing it, unless you are just selling a straight commodity the way that everyone is selling that same thing, basing it on price. In getting through to our audience, there's blogs, there's direct uh, mail, email, websites, etc. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about each one of these and the value, and do you like one better than the other? Hmm. I like all of them because all of them work, but all of them have their place in your marketing mix. Your blog is really your voice in the marketplace. It's not your brochure. It's not your. It's not the. It's your voice. What are, What are you talking about? What are you interested in? With the idea that if you're interested, you'll find people who find it interesting, and then you can move forward. That is that is what a blog is for. A blog is you spreading out and having a conversation with people, especially now that you can have your blog integrated directly into Facebook. It's where you can show up. You can have your videos there, your audios there. You can have your text there. You can have your pictures there. Not like on Facebook. This is your personal space. And one thing I'd like to say is you really, with social media, you're really always trying to get them off of the Facebooks and the Twitter and get them over to your place. That's right. Because your place is where you can spread out and you have your own voice and you have control. If any of these platforms go away and you put all your effort and time into their platforms and they decide to change policies or change the program or do anything, you're out of luck at that point. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you move them into onto your list, your site, they understand your value proposition, you can have customers for life. But you have to move them into your your environment, so to speak. And a blog is perfect for that. Over at davidbullock.com, there is a blog. There's well over 200 posts there. People get over there and get lost. <laughs> and, it, and it's my musings, my ramblings on this, but typically it's around business development, what I'm seeing in the marketplace, how things are moving, pro- progress on projects, that type of thing. But a blog allows me to just say what I want to say, and here it is. And people get to know you there. They really, if they're reading your words the way you want to have them out there, they get to know you there. And people do business with whom? People, not companies really. Now, you also need your website. Let's back up. A blog is a special type of website, but a website is not a blog. Because a blog has special features and functions which allow it to tie into social media that a website doesn't particularly have. Any WordPress blog or Notepad blog, WordPad blog, any of those, they work so well to tie into social media. A website doesn't typically do that. A website is your brochure. It looks nice. 
It gives them the information about your company and that type of thing, a little bit about you. That's typically your calling card online. That's your face <laughs> online. Your blog is your voice. Your website is your face. Now, your website, again, if it's a business website that you're doing consulting work or you're trying to get people to know you, if it's an e-commerce website, that website has no other function except get them here and get them to buy. And that's fine. And those websites need to be what they call search engine optimized where Google and MSN and Yahoo and Bing, the search engines, love the website and they want to list them and rank them well on the search engines. That's a whole other conversation. Right. Okay? But a blog, again, is your voice. Your website is your face. You can integrate the two together. And then social media. Social media is, for lack of a better term, it's a huge conversation around a myriad of different subjects at the same time. Because it is out there and it's an ongoing conversation, you want to insert yourself into the conversations that are already going on. Your customers and the traffic that you want is already somewhere else. The key is for you to show up there as interested first, then interesting, and then competent. 